So good morning, everyone, and um, I just uh, wanted to welcome you again to Redstone Church. Uh, So uh, we were planted five years ago from a home church in downtown uh, Johnson City called Redeemer Community Church. And so my, the father of my faith and the the, the main guy, his name was John Fouché, and uh, he just wanted to be a part of this day in some way uh, and some some kind of form. And so John Fouché, everybody, is up on the screen. Happy anniversary, Redstone. My name is John Fouché, and I was there seven years ago when I watched. There's Jerry Williams calling me. Hey! (laughs) Sorry, Jerry. (laughs) When I watched God put this thing together, guys like that and um, Spencer Teal, just watching God's stories put together and the emphasis upon the gospel and the emphasis on relationships to wait to develop and to put those in together uh, was just remarkable for the first two years and that foundation was laid there Uh, so I'm happy for you guys and look forward to y'all continuing to emphasize the gospel in relationships and reaching your friends and your neighbors uh, and people in Johnson City awesome so that's John Fouché, everybody. So we're about to release Camp Redstone. But before we do, so, before we, do we want to remind ourselves why exactly we picked Redstone Church as a name. Because we thought it would be a great excuse and a great reason to declare the gospel for someone or anyone who asks, hey, so what exactly does that name mean? I've never heard that before. So red stands for the blood of Christ Jesus that was shed on Calvary's cross to forgive us of our sins. And stone was the stone of remembrance, the stone that was rolled away on Easter Sunday to declare to the whole world that both sin and death had been conquered. And of course, church is the great commission to go, to baptize, to preach the gospel to all of the nations as we make disciples as we go. And so we just wanted that reminder before we let the kids go. And so if you are from kindergarten all the way to fifth grade and your parents are cool with it, uh, Camp Redstone is being dismissed right now. So you've got some teachers back there looking at that there's uh, Miss Amber and there's Miss Nicole and there's the Browns Zach and Audrey look at them they're, they're waving uh, all kinds of signs back there so yeah parents if you're okay with sending your kindergartner all the way up to fifth grade uh, with them that would be awesome and they are going to to take your kids and they're going to keep them safe and today today they're going to learn about Nehemiah And the fact that the word of God hushed the entire crowd and brought them to their knees in weeping. And yet the people of God, the priest, came back into their lives and says, you shouldn't weep. The word of God is coming uh, forward to to heal you. So that's, that's kind of the lesson for today. And so Camp Redstone looks like it is going to be busting at the seams. Pretty awesome. All right, so doing this transition, uh, some fun stuff. Here you go. If you were part, uh, if you were part of the uh, family meeting, you've heard these types of things. But in five years, just to put some things in perspective, all right, in five years, there have been 259 Sunday services conducted at Redstone Church. That's cool, right? We're right under a tick under 260. There have been 1,300 worship songs that have been sung. There have been seven missionaries that have been commissioned. There have been 36,036 chairs and bulletins either put up, put out, 
folded, distributed, those kinds of things. Almost 40,000 of those. Um, there have been nine ministry partners that have been uh, come up. There have been 77,700 goldfish given out in Camp Redstone. Also equated, I don't know who does this math, probably is Daniel McIntosh, also known as 95 pounds of goldfish given out at Redstone Church. There have been six uh, church plants or partners that have been a part of, and this is staggering really, is the fact that we have collected uh, $1.5 million in five years. And so we have corporately been able to use those monies for the betterment of God's kingdom. So that's five years as kind of a snapshot. So that's, that's pretty cool, right? Uh, okay, thank you, thank you. I, I thought that that was like an a intended pause, like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, y'all didn't follow the lead. That's okay, all right, I'm fine. Bad at jokes. All right, so uh, open up to Mark chapter 1, all right? We're going to spend a little time together, and then we really are going to trust that the body has, has the gospel message to, to carry and to carry some weight, and so we'll hand it over uh, to kind of do some open mic, and we'll reflect on that passage together. But providentially, the Lord has brought us to this moment. Providentially, the Lord has brought us to Mark chapter 1, 14 to 28, for our one-year anniversary. We didn't carve it up this way. We didn't try to be nifty. It just, this is the way that it fell, and we're really, really grateful for that. But here's a caution, all right? Here's something that we, we need to be careful about, is that if we're not careful, we will think that days like today is about Redstone Church. And days like today is a, a way or, or a method to lift up some other name other than Jesus. And so, yes, it would be foolish of us not to look back and thank Jesus for what he has done in five years. But we don't want to move so fast or so quick or lift up the name of Redstone whatsoever. Because there will be a day, right? There will be a day when Redstone Church will close its doors. And there will be a day when anniversary celebrations will, will just come to a halt, but there will never be a day where we stop celebrating that the kingdom of God is coming and is here in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, so we want to balance that. We want to make sure that we, we honor the Lord and thank him graciously for being so kind to us as a church body. But we need to understand where we are from the get-go is to lifting up the name of Jesus. Now, Jesus had a, a public ministry all right, he came out into public and he started a ministry. And it just so happens that we are celebrating the fact that Redstone Church started public ministry five years ago. And this is where we are today in Mark chapter 1, are these very first days of ministry. So we actually get to see Jesus' first words, right? And we also get to see his first actions. And we're going to glean from these types of things because the three things that we're going to see this morning that, that Jesus did right off the bat are the things that we want to associate with and the things that we want to be true of us. If they were true of Jesus, we want them to be true of us. So Mark chapter 1, let's, let's, let's jump right in. And so verse 14 and following, uh, you got it here on your, your worship guide. Verse 14 says this, Mark chapter 1. Now after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the uh, the brother of, of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 18 says, And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And after going a little farther, they saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he brought them, uh, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Verse 23. And immediately there was in their synagogues a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked them, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. Verse 27. And they were all amazed. And so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits to obey him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. So the very first thing that we see from Jesus coming out of the gate is the fact that he is proclaiming the gospel of God. He's proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand and we are to repent and believe these things. And so the first thing coming out of Jesus' public ministry was that of public words and the proclamation of the gospel. Jesus simply says, repent and believe. Repentance is this word that simply means stop doing the things that Jesus uh, wouldn't do and start doing the things that Jesus would do, right? Stop doing the things that makes Jesus sad and start doing the things that would make him glad. So we have to stop doing something and we need to start doing something else. And that is actually that repent and belief, that kind of, that narrative is actually played out, or I'm sorry, that, that, that moment is actually played out in the narrative of the fishermen where they drop their nets or they leave this boat and they follow Jesus. So this is in practical terms, this idea that we are to repent and believe that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is about to be fulfilled. So what is this gospel, right? You've heard this word if you've been around churches for a long time, this idea of gospel. Well, if you broke it down into its original, you would, you would realize that this simply means good news. This idea that the kingdom is at hand and the kingdom was about to be fulfilled was very, very good news. And so think about this, this last, last couple of days with Florence or 9-11. What do we do? We turn on our radios or we turn on our televisions because we want to receive news. We want to receive the latest updates, right? So that's not good news, but it is news where we're literally, we we want to know something that potentially is happening that we are unaware of. Well, this preaching, this proclamation of the good news is the fact that it really is good news and it has unbelievable historical context. Let's just say that we are in the first century or or those types of things, and there was no CNN, there was no Fox News, and all of our kingdom was at war, and we wanted to know what happened on the battlefield. 
Well, if a herald came into our market square and says, hello, hello, I've got some news to share. That dude, whoever he was, right, whoever that guy was, and if he did this or he had a microphone, I don't know what he looked like, right? But that guy was bringing something. And he was likely, if there was victory, he was bringing good news. We have defeated the villain. The foe has been vanquished. We will survive. And all the town goes, yeah, right? I'm a little more animated than y'all are this morning. Yeah, all right. So this is good news because you didn't know, right? The guys on the other side of the battle, they could come and squash us, but they're not gonna squash us. We get to have next year's crop come to be, and it's amazing. Or let's just say that a king was about to be born and someone came into the town and says, by the way, a new king has been born. His arrival is here. This is our good news. This idea that the battle has been won and the king has been born. The kingdom is at hand. That yes, this world is a mess. And yes, we will continue to see hurricanes. And yes, we will continue to see war or war. But at some point, the battle will cease because something has happened to change the course of history. And that happens to be the person and work of Jesus. And that's the proclamation that is going to go on. Because the good news is not just news. The good news is the person of Jesus. And we want to be about celebrating him. And we want to be about the proclamation of the things that he wanted to proclaim, which was the gospel of good news. And so if that is true of Jesus, we want that to be true of us, that we too are proclaimers of the good news of Jesus, that the battle has been won and there's been one that will come and that he will continue to conquer. The good news is not just some kind of bulletin or scroll on the, on, the, on the bottom of our screens. It's a person. And it wraps up a story that started all the way in the beginning and will end someday in Revelation. The fact that the kingdom of God is here. There was once a day in Genesis 1 and 2 where people like you and me, Adam and Eve, walked with God. And had a conversation with God. And was protected by God. And loved by God. And and continued loved with him. And we were in relationship. And then something happened to that relationship in chapter 3 of Genesis. We didn't care about God's kingdom anymore. We didn't care that God was a king any longer. In fact, we wanted our own kingdom. And we wanted our own kingdom to be proclaimed. And we wanted self-absorption to be a part of who we were. And we wanted to make our names great. And so at that point, there was a great ripping. And there was a great seismic activity that happened. Where our relationship with God and our relationship with others and even our relationship with creation was severed. And so we replaced God's kingdom with our own kingdom. So the good news has to be wrapped up in a good story. And we all love good stories where the prince will come back into the kingdom and like climb the tower and rescue the damsel who's in distress and slay the dragon and put everything back in place. Like we all want to be a part of those types of stories. Well, guess what? Jesus is the one that will come to rescue the one who is in distress, who will slay the dragon and put everything, put the kingdom back in peace. This is what Jesus' first words were about, was that I have come to make all of those things come true. 
So the things that are broken right now in your lives, Jesus is going to come and he will restore those either in this time or in another. But the fact that Jesus, flesh and blood, right? Cloak, tunic, hair, and words. He says the kingdom of God is here. Meaning, it's here. That the material world matters. And that Jesus has inserted himself into human history. The course of Christianity is not just about feelings or just about something that's spiritual that you can't touch or see. It really has to do with God incarnating himself and walking among men and women like us. The kingdom of God is near. It will be fulfilled, and Jesus comes proclaiming the good news of the gospel. The second thing that he does, let's, let's read, it, read on, is the fact that he is about discipleship. And so not only did Jesus come into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, saying the time is fulfilled, right? In verse 16, he says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And he saw James, another set of brothers. He saw James and, and the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he said to them, and they left, uh, they said to, immediately they called to him and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum and, oh, sorry, sorry, we'll stop there. We'll stop there. So the second, sorry, it's not broken up in, in the bulletin. The second fact is that discipleship really does matter. Let's remember that these are Jesus' first words in the, in the book of Mark. But this is his first action. This is his first moment of ministry. We've heard a word, you know, we've heard some words, but we haven't seen him heal anyone. We haven't seen anything drastic yet. And so the very first action of Jesus is what? This call to discipleship. This call of real people to follow him. And so discipleship, this idea of following after Jesus was the thing that he opened up his public ministry with. Not a miracle, not something spectacular, but simple ordinary people doing ordinary things. But he says, stop and follow me. This is really remarkable. There's this little phrase here. That as they were casting their nets. You see that? And so he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. I don't know if you caught it or not, right? But this is in motion of casting the net. So as Jesus walks up, he sees this, right? That's, that's what he sees. He sees this. They've done it thousands, if not Tens of thousands of times. And yet for some reason, Mark thought it was important for us to know that as he was doing this, he said, that's what you have to stop. Because you're going to stop that and you're going to start something else. And as the other brothers were in the boat with their fathers, mending nets, something that they have done over and over and over, this is the moment that Jesus says, come and follow me. There's nothing spectacular about fellowship. It's just normal people with normal names, just like you and me, doing something out of obedience 
rather than when it simply makes sense. Jesus had done nothing spectacular to draw them to himself. It's simply his authority that makes him demand, follow me. And the second thing is he, there's no test here. There's no prerequisite. So by the way, you have to go to seminary and you got to get your ducks in a row and you're going to have to have all this put together. No, it's just a normal sunny day in Galilee. And he says, this is the time for you to stop what you're doing and start following me. The object of the affection here, the object of discipleship is in the person of Jesus. It's not about dropping what you're doing. It's about the object of Jesus himself because he says, follow me. And so if there's a prerequisite, if there's a test, it's on this idea of following after Jesus and doing Jesus types of things and watching Jesus do the things that he does very, very well and putting that thing on repeat over and over and over. This is what fellowship looks like. And fellowship has a name. His name was Simon and Andrew and John and James. Real people doing real things. The call of discipleship is not an easy place to be. It's very personal, both to you with the name and then also who you're following. But this is a call to disruption and discomfort. If you believe that Jesus or following Jesus is a way for you to get the better life now or for you to make things easier on yourself or if the things that are in your life that are, are actually, actually just in a moment going to come together in a moment, it will, it's not like that. Because this call is not just personal, but this call is a, is a call to leave something, to forsake something. The things that we value the most in the South is our get to it itness, right? Whatever that is, right? Maybe it's gumption. Maybe it's just hard work. Maybe it's grit. Maybe it's because we like having dirty fingernails. Maybe it's because I'm proud that I've got blisters on my hand because I was ripping a vine out of a tree and yelling, take that devil. That's a true story. I don't know why I said it, but I was like, take that devil. And uh, Oliver's like, is he talking to himself again? Um, but this is, this is, this is maybe this is hard work is because we like what we do. We think that our vocation is pretty important. But there will be a time when Jesus in mid-cast will call on us and tell us to drop everything. We look at people like Carlos and Anita and we put them on stage. And this is an amazing moment. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is not an amazing moment. But this is a moment for every single person in here for you to say that thing that I think is important is not that important because I'm going to repent. I'm going to believe that that person, the good news of the gospel is in the person of Jesus. Now that is important. And the other thing that we think is important, not just hard work, but we love our families and we love our family units. And comparatively, comparatively, Jesus has to be better and the people that are sharing your, the row with you right now. It's not that nets are bad or that dads are bad. Absolutely not. But in comparison to Jesus, it should be a no-brainer. Think about the day that you got married to the spouse, right? Genesis tells us that we are to leave our father and mother and go and hold on to the person to our left or our right. 
And that was a no-brainer. Like, I'm not going to hug my mom the way I'm going to hug Nicole. That's weird, right? Giggle, giggle, ha. Y'all, I'm trying, y'all. I'm trying. Um, Right? So that's just, that's just, of course we're going to leave. That's not going to devalue mom and dad. It's just that the relationship is different. God has asked us to go and cleave to our husbands and our wives and them only. In the same way, at some point, our vocations and our family, as valuable and necessary as they are, they will have to be, they will have to pale in comparison to the kingdom of God that is at hand. And the last thing is this idea that uh, Jesus comes and he brings great authority. And this great authority gets him in trouble for the right reasons. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered into a synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught as one who had authority. So he's not only bringing good news, right? He's bringing something brand new. This something with great authority. And not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the, in the synagogue a man who, who had an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, and they questioned among them, saying, Say, What is this? When you stare at Jesus in his right way, you cannot but wait to be stunned and ask, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. In verse 28, and at once, his fame, Jesus's fame, spread everywhere throughout all of the surrounding regions of Galilee. And that is what has been happening hopefully every single day since this first, one of these first moments in his public ministry. That everywhere, throughout all of the surrounding regions, that the fame of Jesus continues to be elevated. I think that oftentimes you and I wake up most mornings and we want our names to be elevated. And we want our fame to be the one that will be remembered at the end of the day. If you're going to have to, if you're going to follow after Jesus, you're going to have to repent. Maybe the first repentance is this idea that you want self-fame. And that you want the notoriety. And you want the eyeballs on you. The kingdom of God will not rest on you. It will rest on the person and work of Jesus for what he has done, not what you will do. And what we do is simply follow after him because he has blazed the trail for us. And so whose fame, whose fame are you about? What type of fame do you want to spread? And if there is an inkling in your heart, which there is, because we are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, if there's an inkling in your heart for self-fame or notoriety, Just know that you're outside the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God that is at hand is all about Jesus. And so maybe the first kind of repent and believe is to walk away from self-glory 
to walk away from like self-recognition, to walk away from the celebrity mentality, this one hit, this YouTube generation where we all want our face and our names to make it, don't we? We want to make it. We want to be significant. We want to be important. We want to be about us. That's not the kingdom. We may shut our doors tomorrow. I don't know what the Lord has. But if we are, let it be known that as a people group, we want to be known for the name of Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not by accident that we came into Jesus' first public ministry where he came proclaiming the gospel of God, where he came declaiming, claiming that the path to Jesus is a path of obedience and discipleship. And then lastly, it better be about Jesus' fame because of his authority and his new teaching, not about ours. And so we're going to pray and we're going to walk into a communion moment. And then after communion, we're going to do an open mic and we're going to answer that question hopefully over and over and over. But before we walk to this table of remembrance, I want there to be like a sober moment just to fall here for us to examine whose fame am I spreading? And I want that question to convict our hearts. And I want us as a people group to repent this morning of self-glory and self-fame. Let's pray. Jesus, I am sorry that I've made it about me. Jesus, will you forgive me? for seeking self-glory. Now, Holy Spirit, you have to do what only you can do is come and pierce our hearts and pierce our minds and to purge our hearts and to give us a greater affection and give us a grander vision for our lives than just our 80 years here. Help us to be about what you are important, what you deem important. Jesus says that I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus, I pray that this day will not end without men and women and college students, high school students, middle school students, even kids in Camp Redstone. Disturb us now. Disrupt us now with that posing question of whose fame am I spreading? Give us the boldness and give us an authority to repent of that and to seek first your kingdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so almost every single Sunday since we started, we knew that we needed a visual gospel to be in front of us. And so we've looked at a piece of bread and we've looked at a chalice of grape juice and we've, we've said, please, pictures, do the heavy lifting of how we should model our lives. Jesus comes to us and he says uh, to his disciples, he says, he says, I have to go somewhere. And I have to do something. And picking up a 
piece of bread. It was a piece of unleavened bread. He broke it. I mean, he ripped it in half. And he says, this is my body given for you. And what was once one piece is now two or three or four different pieces. And this giving up is that there has to be and there there has to be a ripping or there has to be a destruction of who I am so the wholeness of who you are can be put in its place. And in the same way, even more graphically, he takes a, a chalice of wine and he shares it with his disciples. He says, This is the blood of the new covenant, the forgiveness of your of your sins. He says, this is my blood that must be poured out for you. So given and poured, sacrifice, deep sacrifice. And so with this moment in time, Jesus' breath was taken away. His life was vanquished. The heartbeat of God, the mind of God was turned away and the wrath of God actually poured out on Jesus. How can the Holy One see corruption? So as we look at a moment like this and we see death and we see decay and we see something that looks incomplete, know that on Easter Sunday, it was all put together and that's what he's offering to us. It's not an incomplete picture, but a complete one. But the only way that we can walk in vitality and life is acknowledging that Jesus had to go through this for us. This is how deep our sin is, that the Holy One, broken, given for us. So at Redstone Church, we gather and we take this meal every Sunday. Uh, there are men all around the room and they're going to they're gonna give away these elements. And so there's um, a little cup of, of juice and there's a little cracker for you to take. Um, something that's a little bit unique and maybe a little bit different if you haven't been here before is that sometimes we huddle up in our families or we huddle up in our community groups and we actually take this and we pray over this meal, you know, together. And so if you're new here and you start seeing people kind of cluster up um, and um, you, you're more than welcome to come back to your seat and take that. That's not a prerequisite. Or you can just kind of just say, say, excuse me, and just interrupt somebody's circle. That would be awesome. Uh, But nonetheless, the object of this meal is Jesus Christ, and it's in, in his name that we take this meal. So go ahead and stand and just know that these stations are open uh, to be served. And so the Lord's Supper is now uh, being served to his people and those people who follow after him. Thank mm-hmm. you.